1: It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster Talk can be supported by listeners like you at patreon.com forward slash monster talk or by leaving positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting sites. Learn more at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us in this way. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or exceed your expectations.
0: Monster
1: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. Since we started Monster Talk, there's been many topics we've not gotten around to that are directly monster related. I suppose some of this is because of time constraints, but a lot of it's because I just tend to sort of follow my own interests without giving it a lot of thought. But there's many monsters around the world that I still want us to cover, and some of those are right here in the United States. So I plan to do some episodes on Native American monsters. We'll be taking a deeper look at Native American culture and monster overlap in episodes discussing the Skinwalker, the Wendigo, and some of the more interesting ways that Native American folklore has been tied into Bigfoot culture. We were contacted by the Seneca Nation Museum, which just moved into a huge new facility, and Tribal Representative David Shango offered to talk to us about Seneca culture and some of its beliefs, including some monsters that will probably sound familiar I'm admittedly very ignorant about much of Native American culture across many tribes. So hopefully, as David clears up some of my ignorance, it'll be informative to you guys, too. I know I learned a lot. But this episode is not very heavy on skepticism. I didn't ask David on to argue about what's literally true or not, but more to hear about his tribe's stories. Some of what we talk about today will be covered in some upcoming episodes in more critical depth. But I want to thank David for his time and stories. And if you find yourself in New York State, near Salamanca... Check out the museum. Links to some books, some online Seneca information, and the museum will be in the show notes at monstertalk.org. Monster Talk. Monster Talk.
0: So, David, welcome to the show. And we're hoping that you can just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, to begin with. Um,
3: yeah, I was going to go to Sweden again when said David needs to get us I'm I'm betting that's not English. (laughs) No, that's our native language. I'm glad y'all are here. And David is my English name. Uh, Hawaii and D is my Indian name. Uh, The Ha part means like I'm sort of inside over there, and the Y and D means like they know him or they're familiar with him. My my said my uh uh clan is Beaver and that I'm from Ohio or from Allegheny territory.
0: So Fantastic.
3: it's usually how we introduce each uh when we uh, formally introduce uh people to ourselves in our own language. So uh, a lot of people don't think that we still have our language, but we do. That's um, awesome. Actually my, Actually my nice. daughter spoke Seneca first and then English. So
0: Oh, brilliant. And how many speakers of the language are there at the moment?
3: There's hundreds of different native languages. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you, you hear about, you know, like World War Two. you know, most of the Jap or the Navajos are famous for their co-talkers, but our people were more in Germany and they would talk to each other in our, our own language. Some people think that, you know, Indian languages are the same, but they're not.
0: No, no. Yeah.
3: And uh, like, I have no idea how to speak Navajo. Uh, They're way in the desert, we're way up here in the northeast with trees and all that, so totally different environment, totally different languages.
0: Yeah, I think it's like uh, Australian Aboriginal languages. There are about 200 of them, so there's no one Aboriginal language.
1: Yeah, my my ignorance uh, about uh, Native Americans in general is is vast and embarrassing. Uh, (laughs) I... I'm hoping that maybe you can help me clear up some of that today. Uh, and I'm, I imagine that a lot of our listeners don't know much about the Seneca people as well. But let's start out talking about uh, your new museum and what's going on with that. So uh, wh- where is this located and, and what's what's in the museum? And, and, and uh, let's, let's talk about that project a little bit.
3: The old museum, we had been there for 40 years. It was built in August 1st, 1977. And so we had a sneak peek August 4th uh, this year. Uh, The old museum was only 10,000 square feet. We were supposed to be there for five years, but 40 years later, we have a new building at 33,000 square feet. My nation, the Seneca Nation, paid $18 million for it to be built. Uh, It's three times bigger than what we were currently in, so it's around 33,000 square feet. We'll hold not only the museum, but our archives, too. So uh, it's all humidity controlled, temperature controlled, everything that needs to be done. Uh, security-wise. Uh, in the back, we are in the process of creating a 400-seat amphitheater outside and an Indian market. And then, probably not this fall, but probably in the springtime, we'll start making the longhouse. And over the next couple of years, we'll make a village based on the, uh, the way we lived in the 1600s. Like I said, we still have our language. Uh, we have our own government. so. Like, New York is around us. Uh, uh, We have a president, a treasurer. Uh, We have our own court system. Actually, my wife had this last November uh, been elected to be a court of appeals judge. So things that go into the lower courts, if somebody uh, wants to dispute them, they can go to her court, and then those three judges will listen to the case and then decide whether or not it merits going on further or going back to the lower court. So we have our own elective system. Um, we do government relations with, uh, with the United States and with other countries. Uh, I know a couple months ago I had the um, French ambassador out of Buffalo come to our museum and him a tour. And so I was happy with that, you know, uh, just getting those kind of connections that uh, I don't think people realize, even in our smart museum but people from all over the world had uh, come to it
0: uh,
3: some people just look forward to talking with us i think they're a little disillusioned or whatever because like in the middle of our territory we have like tim hortons and mcdonald's and, <laughs> 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 and so uh you know some people that you know they just think that we stayed in I don't know, dressed like in the 1600s. And, um, <laughs> okay.
0: you know,
3: like, well, you're not dressed like a pilgrim now, are you? And they're like, no. I'm like, <laughs> you know, people, you know, they think because I dress with blue jeans and stuff like that, that I'm not really native. I'm like, well, your shirt actually probably comes from China, but doesn't make you Chinese, does it? Like, you know, just the way I dress is not always representing who we are. We have our own traditional way of doing things. Um, like myself, uh, I have long hair to show that I'm masculine. Um, usually when something tragic happens, then we cut our hair. The kids that went to boarding uh thought of the boys when they got their hair cut. Uh, they thought that their parents had died and they were orphans. That's why they were there. And later on when they saw their parents, they were you know, quite obviously confused as to like what was going on. But either the mainstream didn't realize that we uh, had that kind of custom. I didn't care at the time, but, uh, if, we, if a girl has two braids, uh, you, it means that she's uh, single. One braid means that you're married. We have a lot of different kind of customs like that. Like we don't really point with our finger. We point with our lips. Like you stick your lips out to say like it's over there and stuff. stuff. Really? Yeah. You stop or whatever pointing with your finger.
1: So when that fad of duck face photos was out, that was like they were all pointing at something. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> I, I feel bad because, like, the only Native American stuff I'm even vaguely familiar with is Cherokee just because of where I live. And then the Cherokee were driven out. Uh, and and I, you know, so all my experience uh, is all about, you know, the Trail of Tears and uh, I felt, you know, the, the way Jackson screwed everybody over i I don't know i'm filled with this mixture of ignorance and shame about the way our country has ended up here but uh i can you so can you help me like eradicate a little bit of this like where in america like where where is the territory that was traditionally uh controlled by the seneca and and what's the situation now with uh where where do you like you're Uh it sounds like you've got some autonomy but still within the bounds of the United States. So how does that all work?
3: Well, that's the thing is that, uh, like, we've given up land, but where I live in Ohio, in Allegheny, we've always owned that land. So the United States has never owned our land. Wow. Versus the Cherokee that were uh, moved over to Oklahoma. Yeah. So those are executive reservations. We're uh, traditional Homeland Treaty reservations. We have treaties with the United States that are still enforceable today. and, And so, like, we don't pay taxes on like our land because we're not within the united states and we don't have a tax system within our center nation we use other ways to get money for the government so we have a whole different other system of economy uh yeah we do have casinos but that's not always where we get all our money from
1: yeah and uh
3: we you know rent land and, and we have, we own other things, other
1: companies. How, how about the local infrastructure? Like like, how do the roads and stuff tie into the, uh, the the rest of the state?
3: People usually don't know until they see like our signs, and then it's stuff written in um, in Indian. Um, actually, Ohio comes from Ohio. Uh, it's actually spelled the same way, and in our language, Ohio means a beautiful river. That's where Ohio comes along. So when some people go through our territory and they see Ohio, they think it's Ohio. And then we have like Sahate, which in our language means stop. So you see the stop sign, and underneath the stop sign is you know Sahe. People usually get the general gist that it means to stop. Yeah, you know, there's different places where you'll see different Indian words, or we've had a, uh, our own language department, and so. Like my wife, before she became a judge, she was in the language immersion class. So from nine o'clock until three o'clock, Monday through Friday, that's all they spoke was their own language. To me, when I speak English, it's like watching a 2D movie. When I speak Indian, it's more like watching a 3D movie. We have spatial recognitions and other things that are concepts that aren't um, in English. Like I said, like my name, Hawaii Indy, like the ha means like I'm over there within sight. But if I was Tawai Indy, then it would be like I was out of sight. Uh, you know, whatever I'm talking about, I'm here and that's way over there, sight. And so when I talk Indian, I can tell like how far something is to me or how close it is. If it's up high, down low, it's really good for like engineering. Um, when you're making something, because you can really tell exactly where something is or you know it's to the left or to the right or something like that so based on where you're standing and then unlike english like hawaiian d my indian name i'm the only one in this generation that has that so there's no no way to not understand like who you're talking to how many davids are in the world i don't know hundred thousand or something you know yeah but you know hawaiian d there's just me and I inherited that, that name. Just like my wife, her name is Diggy Wanets. So it means like two thoughts falling, two things falling. But she inherited that name from her grandmother. Her great-grandmother was Diggy Wanets. And so that's how we pass on our names. It comes to the women's line. And so we have climb mothers. They're the name holders, and they're the ones that give people their name. And then yeah. like our system... We did our clan system because when people are new to the world, they didn't realize they weren't going to live forever. And an uh, uh, older man dies, and then a young girl dies. And somebody important in the community died. And that's when they realized that we're just here temporarily. So we made our clan system to actually deal with death. So if somebody dies on the animal side, then the bird side takes care of it. So like I said, I'm Beaver. My wife is a great blue heron. So ours is a good marriage. Uh, keeps the blood clean. Uh, so you don't really hear too many stories about birth defects within our, our stories. Every once in a while you hear a little bit, but not too much. Uh, anybody in my clan would be considered like a brother or sister. Anybody on my side would be considered like a cousin. Uh, so that's why they get married on the other side. So then that way
1: uh, you're not too close. So there's a, like a cultural taboo against too close to marriage? Yeah. Wow.
3: So uh, a turtle and a turtle shouldn't get married to each other. Whether they're Seneca, Mohawk, uh, Onondaga, doesn't matter. Like I can go to Onondaga and there's Beaver uh, clan there and I just consider them like my family. So if they come over and they need a place to stay, then they come and stay with me. If I need a place to stay, I stay with them. It's one of the how one of the reasons that we were able to have a confederacy, because uh, in our own language we call ourselves Haudenosaunee, people longhouse, and so it's like we all live in one big house together.
0: I think the the differences in ways of talking about time and space in Indigenous languages is really interesting. Certainly with uh, American Native Indigenous languages, they're um, it's just so different. Uh, But I'm just curious about the language. Is it endangered? It sounds like there are some revitalization attempts. You were talking about your wife attending school, and immersion school. Um, Is it endangered?
3: Yeah, when people went to the boarding schools, uh, some people were stolen away from their families and put into boarding school. And so they were punished for speaking the language. So,
1: um,
3: you know, a lot of people don't realize all the trauma that they went through, but I remember uh, on YouTube, there was a woman. She wondered how come her mother never taught her how to speak her language. And uh, when she got older, she was investigating it. Her aunt said, well, that she had a, uh, her, they had a brother. I guess the brother refused to speak English. And so the nun washed his mouth out with soap. And as she was washing his mouth out with soap, the soap got caught in his throat, choked him, and he died. Wow. And, uh, so the mother never wanted, you know, her children to be punished like that. So that's why she taught her just to speak English, and not her native language. So you hear a lot of stories like that. And nowadays, it's more trying to bring back the
0: language. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. well yeah, we had a similar thing in uh, in Australia too with uh, Indigenous people. They call it the Stolen Generation. Uh, back in the 20th century, I think in the 1950s, a lot of Aboriginal children were taken away from their parents and uh, put in foster care with white families and um, to this day have not been able to trace their biological families. So it's a very, very sad thing, very terrible thing to happen in our history, very shameful.
1: Yeah, that happened with the First Nations too. Yeah, and it,
3: it happened here. So, I mean, that's where some things get lost or whatever. But one of my jobs as the uh, museum director is to make sure we – connect with our culture and so like one of our exhibits is about our oral history and as time has gone on things that they consider myth are actually now being proven to be actually true for example Uh like in our language we call um, a pig a boar we and if you look at a hog right a boar you know it has Mm -hmm. a tusk it has a snout and a little bit of hair and stuff well that that word that we use for grease grease pig actually goes back probably about 20,000 years ago. Can you think of an animal that was look, looked like a pig 20,000 years ago? With was, tusks?
1: Uh, something with a longer <laughs> nose, you mean? But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble you know, here because I'll probably say the wrong one. I'm going to say mammoths, but I, yeah, it might be mastodons here. I can't remember. There's like no, it was a mammoth. That's, that's So when my ancestors saw the pig,
3: the hog that the uh, Germans and the French brought over, because we have a story, or oral history story, about one time a, a huge grease squeeze a, a mammoth came through and knocked over the palisade and knocked over people's longhouses that they lived in and caused all this uh, trauma. And so, you know, in the 1800s, they didn't believe that there was such an a animal. Through anthropology and archaeology, couple little towns away from us there's um, randolph new york and they found macedons there and so it just collaborates with our oral history story that this isn't a myth that they were actually around and that yeah, we actually have a word in our language for them
1: yeah so you think they were like the the oral history was keeping that alive uh and so when the words were already there but when the new animal showed up that was the closest thing so uh, yeah yeah, wow oh, by, by the way, I'll just talk about language I don't know if we mentioned it but Karen Karen's background is linguistics, so that's uh,
0: <laughs> oh. oh yeah um, <laughs> historical linguistics isn't my specialty but I'm still interested in all of this
1: but I mean it's it's such an important thing uh you know it uh w- we uh it comes up a lot. A lot of the. the I'm always interested. Oh, when in we're etymology. talking about monsters yes. yeah. and
0: creatures. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. So, well, so, like in our language, we have uh, Zonoscowa is like a huge blue dinosaur. And now, we, you know, with Jurassic Park coming out and with those raptors, it's exactly how it's described in our language. So now we know that Zonoscoawa is what our ancestors called. Those rap, and so I think stuff like that is neat in our language, and it shows like to me how old our language is because not only do we have a word for dinosaur, but we have a
1: word for an actually a blue dinosaur. That's pretty wild. What, what, uh, is there like a, a folklore or myths around? Let me, you know, before I even say that, let me back up just a second because when I'm talking with someone who's got a, a cultural background far different from mine, I want to be careful about how I word my questions. So I wanted to talk to you about folklore and mythology, but it occurred to me that maybe uh, what I'm thinking of as folklore and mythology might be uh, an active, you know, religious belief or historical factual. History, belief. Yeah. yeah. So I want to, I want to make sure yeah. that I, you know, what I, what I'm talking about is the oral history of your people but I, 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 I want to make sure that we talk about it in a way that we're not dismissive of it. So, I mean, like, that's the thing. When people call it myth or folklore, you know, they're sort of dismissing it as not real. Exactly. And, you, and know? I, what mm-hmm. I, you know, and that's, that's not fair because I have no idea how much of this is considered to be tradition, how much of this is considered to be active faith, that sort of thing. So,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, you know... um, You know, you asked about, like, our people and stuff, you know, about the Boston uh, Tea Party and the non-natives dressed up as Indians. Mm -hmm. Do you know why they dressed up as Indians? I don't. No. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was uh, uh, Elizabeth Tucker, who's an anthropologist, uh, theorized that they were making a political statement that we had freedoms over here that they never had in Europe. And so they wanted to be Americans. They wanted to be free like we were. Because like under our great law of peace and stuff like that, we have autonomy
1: that was never thought about over in Europe. That's why they got dressed as Indians. So it was kind of like a a a sign of like rebellion, freedom, kind of the "don't tread on me" kind of thing. Yeah. Back to what I was saying though, I guess what is the uh, like what is the traditional tribal religious system, and and how does folklore play into that? What How does, or you
3: know, I mean, we have what's called guy wheel, which is the great word or the good word. But to us, we have no word in our language for religion, just a way of life. And so it's just based on how you live your life. And so even like when I introduced myself and said, you know, what I'm really saying in our language is, are you healthy? Are you at peace? Uh, If somebody's not at peace, they're healthy, then it's up to us as human beings to help them out to bring them back to peace.
2: Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot.
0: So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch?
2: Like I've seen a ghost and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon!
1: We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast.
0: Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents
1: climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming.
0: Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution.
1: Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur (laughs) injuries, paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases.
0: A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts
3: and so uh, beautiful so, but we don't really have like like we have ceremonies we have dances and stuff like that some people consider that like the religion but people that are engaged in our old ways of being just realize that every day that you're alive is you're connected to the world around you but it's not just some special place you know like, my grandfather, Shimmer War, used to say, like, if he wanted to pray, he didn't need to go to a building. He just went out in the woods and prayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we do, like, uh, what's called the like Ganonyok, the Thanksgiving Address. And some people consider it a prayer, but I don't really consider it a prayer because all we're doing is giving thanks for everything in the world. From the water to the trees and to the wind. Because without them, we don't survive. And that way, I guess, you know, um, like I said, we don't really have a religion. It's just uh, the most important thing is, uh, is uh, to show love to everybody. That was what we were taught early on. Even those stories that I was talking about, like was uh you know, it, certain men, certain people gave up their lives in order for the people to survive because we have like another story uh, it's about denote um, days uh, which we call a uh, mosquito now but the mm-hmm. mosquito came about because of a big monster and it, I always wondered about denote uh, days because it translates into like it has a big beak but I don't really think of a mosquito having a beak I think of it like a long nose Um, but when you listen to like stories that come from like corn planter from the 1700s and so that when they talk about this big mosquito, the wingspan of it was three men long. I'm usually about the average height for an Indian, which is around six foot. So it's about 18 feet long in the width span. Uh, it had a long uh, beak and a lot of teeth in it. That's a big mosquito.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Same like the ones around here.
3: Uh, And then, like, the feet looked like uh, they had um, arrows. And so when I look at that and think about it, it was like a pterodactyl kind of thing. Uh, A pterosaur beard. And so when they – so a couple of the men, what they did was they tied themselves down and then the pterodactyl tried to take them. And ended up dying, but in the meantime, while well, the pterodactyl was attacking the guy, the other guys were attacking the pterodactyl. Because, in our beliefs, there's like um, monsters or dinosaurs under the world. And Hino, you know, uh, the Thunder Beings, they keep them down there. Like, Hino uh, you know, would be like Thor, I guess, in uh, Viking lore.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, it, that's what's it, it's like w- the Is it? Modern- uh, Oh, is it a, a deity or like a, 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 a like a, a half? Like, a, is it a hero or, or is it a god?
3: It's not really like a god or whatever. They're uh, like we call them like our, our grandfathers. You okay. know, they're entities that are older than we are. Part of their helping us uh, for humanity is to make sure that, like these dinosaurs and these big monsters stay under the ground and keep us safe. And so, like, when lightning hits on the ground, it's thought that uh, maybe those dinosaurs are coming too close to the world and they remind them to get back down there and stay in
1: those caves under the world. Yeah, but but are you talking about, so under the ground, is that like a hollow earth kind of thing?
3: I guess so. I mean, that's sort of what they, they talk about is that, you know, there's uh, when the creator and his brother... Nowadays, sometimes they try to compare them like good and evil. But to me, it was more like one was more like the yin and the yang. One was positive, one was negative. And so his brother, the creator's brother, tried to create things. And One of the things he ended up creating was monsters, uh, like dinosaurs. And it was killing people. And the creator then put them underneath the world in this big cave. I, you know they keep them down there. We have prophecies about the thunder being is coming from the east, and there'll be a big storm, like there was never before a storm like this. And once that storm has gone or gone through, they'll go away for a while, and then those big monsters will come up from under the earth because they're they won't be around to keep them down. And so when I was young, people didn't they think that was going to happen, but. Now where these tornadoes and hurricanes and all that happening in the east, I'm coming in more and more onto the onto the east coast, you know, we wonder if those prophecies might happen in one day. Or maybe it's like a big hurricane or something that comes through our territory.
1: Does your lore have like a, a apocalyptic kind of predictions out there? Or are there, is there a, yeah. yeah. how does that, what's that like?
3: The first time, you know, like humanity happened, there was a big fire and that destroyed a lot of things. And then there was the dew eagle that saved us. And then the next time there was uh, ice and that froze the world and killed a lot of people. And the last time there was a big flood. Uh, that's why in our language, we're known as Anondawaka, people of the Great Hill, because there was a flood at one time and our people survived it by... What is it? It Had rain for what did say ninety days, something like that. Anyways, and uh, they were on this big hill and uh, survived it anyway. So a woman from the south comes with corn and gives them corn to eat because at a certain point they didn't have anything to eat. They were eating the bark off from trees when they didn't have that, then they were starving. But like I said, the woman comes from the south, gives them corn to eat. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we have a, a practice of saying Yahweh when we get done eating, which is giving thanks to that. Uh, but it all goes back to the when there was that major flood. And the leader at the time said that they knew what it was to be without food. So they would always be thankful for it. And so we're supposed to, in Guy Wheel, there's prophecies by Handsome Lake. And it was in like 1799 that he made some of these prophecies. So some of them is that, you know, the. Trees will die from the top down. We see that now. Animals uh, uh, being born deformed wise. and see some of the chemicals and everything that's in the water with uh, animals being deformed. Some of the diseases that they talk about, is coming about anyway. Bird flu and all that. It sounds to me it was some of those prophecies. In it. And then we'll go into like the fourth world. Some people will survive. Some people won't. But... That was why we have these prophecies, is to help us know that it was all in the plan, I guess.
1: Yeah. Or how to
3: survive it.
1: I guess guess most prophecies do that. They give you, uh, you know, maybe they give you something to worry about, something to prepare for, but also give you a Mm -hmm. context, you know. So, yeah. Well, I guess we invited you on uh, at at the suggestion of Brad Lockwood, I guess. OK, OK. And uh, he said that you might be able to talk to us uh, uh, some about the monsters uh, and uh, sort of uh, yeah. that sort of element within your uh, your people's stories. And so
0: ghost legends. Yeah. OK. Other...
1: So, you know, I, I we I, I guess we're, we're limited in time, but I wanted to kind of find out uh, a little bit about uh, the kind of monsters that I guess. I'd, I'd be interested in monsters that people think are literally true and monsters that people think are maybe more representative and, and, uh, and, and, yeah. uh, and, and something about how your, your people deal with ghosts and uh, that's that kind of stuff. Sort of like what do you call like Bigfoot? We call the stone giants,
3: but they weren't really um, beings made from stone. They either, um, their skin was sticky or they put tar on their skin and, they rolled their uh, youth in like sand and uh, other things, and over time, uh, they wore this like armor of uh, a stone on them. I think you guys would call them like Bigfoot, and so they would eat people. and in one of our stories, there was a big meteor. Meteors were striking the world. Those those were human beings at one point, but then they changed. And like I said, they had like the sticky subject to their skin. So when I was young that's what I think more people thought of like the stone giants as being that, but there, there were another being anyways that um loved and, you know, had relationships and sometimes they helped us and sometimes they caused a lot of chaos and I, like for, for G Scant Ghost, one of the things like in our way of being, it's sort of like um you ever uh, watch uh, Ghost Whisperer, the TV series?
0: Yeah, I think I've seen some Which, of
3: it. So she likes to talk to the ghosts and
0: stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, A lot of that story is sort of like how we believe the, the world is. That when the creator made us, he made us to walk on the earth and to touch the earth. And when you die, you don't touch the earth anymore. So you have to go on to another place. And so uh, when we... Uh, when our uh, oh, people oh talk.
1: sorry, just yes, I have seen it. That's Jennifer Love Hewitt's show. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, a lot of our beliefs is, is like that, where you know, uh, people that are passed on they can have a good or bad influence on humanity, and mm-hmm. so that's why they need to go on to wherever we came from. Because, like, in our way of talking about like the soul, the spirit of a human being. It's called um, oh twice hat. And so part of, like on the top of your head, that soft spot, that's where the spirit from heaven comes. There's another strand that's the physical part of this world, the earth. And then uh, part of it too, there's another strand that's the uh, spirit of this planet. And when those three things were combined together and created creator made people, He blew life into them; it lit a fire up, and so when death comes, it puts out that fire, and um, that's why people go cold and stuff. Um, But I remember we um, were—I used to work in men's ceremonial before I was the director, so it was part of our job to make sure our ceremonies happen the way they're supposed to, and uh, so we were talking about. graphic novel, Red Mars. I don't know
1: if you guys ever read that. You like what? the Kim Stanley Robinson? Yeah. Yeah, and I, so... I've got the novel. You know, I haven't read the, the graphic novel version, but yeah.
3: Okay. So basically, native go to live on Mars, and the corporation pollute this planet, and then decided to go over there and take over that planet. Uh, but what we were discussing in any ways was Ungwe uh, is what we call a human being, and we wondered whether or not there would be Ungwe, whether they would they'd be a human being. Because like I said, part of what makes us a human being is the spirit of this planet. And so if they're born on Mars, then they wouldn't be the spirit of this planet, would be the spirit of that planet. So we wondered what kind of being they would be.
0: That's sort of similar to some of the theories or, or beliefs that, that people have. Um, about uh, UFOs and, and aliens, their similar beliefs to to that amongst the Seneca people?
3: Well, it's of. I mean, we have the sky beings, you know, there's the sky world. And so every once in a while, they come down. Like with Gaiweo, there were the, the three beings, and, and they're from the sky world. It's hard to say whether or not it's from like a, well, because like when we talk about when people die, they go to towns day, And towns is sort of like an, another planet or something. And one of our stories about creation, there was a sky world. When Skywoman fell, there was a tree that was in the sky world that lit up the sky. When they pulled the tree, I always thought of it as like a cave kind of dark premise. But in um, John uh, Armstrong's version of our creation story, uh, when the tree was pulled out from the sky world, there was a green, there was a white light with a green light in the middle. So it sounds to me more like a wormhole kind of thing. My sci-fi guy mm-hmm. gets it to me, and then she go, they throw her through the hole, and she comes to this world. Because even in like our, like I said, we have like spatial recognitions. Yeah. Uh, have in English. So, like, when we do the canonio, like, my version of the canonio, and Baba dento is the word I use for the canonio, and it's sort of like, I take a fishing hook, and I throw it from this realm into the spiritual realm, and pull into this realm, the Thanksgiving Address. And so, it's sort of like, a different dimensions, because, like, okay. in some of our history stories, we talk about little people, um, and so, I don't know if they're dwarves or what they are but when you, you hear some of the stories about this little boy or little girl gets uh, taken by the little people to their village the sky is different it's like a reddish color the child might stay there for like three days but when they come back to the village it's like 50 years later
1: yeah so, so that that's that's interesting so mm-hmm. th- do you know how old those stories are? No one knows how old those stories are. I mean,
3: uh, some of the things that we do, you know, could be a millennia ago. It's it's hard to say. But do we you, you say, think you they know? they
1: predate European contact?
3: Oh yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. So I always just find um, that interesting because the the stories of little people and uh, the ideas of uh, like you know in what what in Europe would be like you know the fairy folk. There's there's so many similarities. Yeah, uh, across the world with those kind of stories
3: when we talk about little people there's three different variations of them they're very tiny ones and then there's other ones that are maybe maybe like six feet or six inches tall but then there's other um, little people that are like about the size of like a two year old child or something and then they have different duties I guess they'd be interdimensional I guess is what you would call it nowadays. Like I said, like they can come into our realm, but then in, be in their realm too. We
1: we talk about that a lot in the folklore. We discuss uh, uh, is well, I shouldn't say folklore either because some people say it's stuff that's really happened to them. But uh, ultra dimensional is uh, one of the terms we're using a lot now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but this same
3: like the eyes that see them, or some people, because even nowadays some people say they see them. I remember once when I was talking at the uh, University of Buffalo, at the, we were talking about little people, and I said, well, some people are color, Brian, but it doesn't mean that there's not color, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but some people see little people and other ones don't. I don't know if it's genetics or, you know, in the blood or what, but uh, just because not everybody sees them doesn't mean that it's not true.
1: So you mentioned uh, someone had... Uh written some of these things down can if if our listeners want to learn more about uh seneca stories where where should they go like can you recommend something that kind of jesse corn his
3: books legends of the longhouse arthur parker he's written you know different ones um in some of the stories you know we thought people had died and then they pop up and then they start eating people so they're sort of like vampires in our stories, so even nowadays, like when we uh, have a, a wake for the person, we have two people, uh, two men that aren't related to that person, you know, stay with them all the time, overnight, and everything. So, and it just goes back to those stories about when people came back from the dead. Basically, it's not sort of like the vampire, like in Dracula, but it's sort of that.
0: So, yeah, there's a concern that someone could come back as a, a vampire-like creature then and and yeah. cause harm.
3: Yeah, and they sort of are like
1: are cannibals. They go to eat people. So, okay. It's, it's, more it's a, ghoulish, I guess, yeah.
0: Yeah, frightening take on that. Just like the the equivalent of Bigfoot eating people. That's yeah. different. I was just going to change topic a little bit because we're starting to draw to a, a close of our time. Um, just to hear a little bit more about the new museum and uh, can you tell us a bit about some of the artifacts and the exhibits that you have there?
3: Well, we have right now over the last 40 years, uh, we have over 11,000 items in our collection. Like mm-hmm. we have a spot that's 800 AD and we have different baskets, you name it, uh, we have arrowheads, all that kind of stuff, but we have beaver, um, Everything that we have in our collection, we've preserved the best that we can. But now that we have the new building, it's all temperature controlled and environmentally. And so we're looking at repatriating more things. I know uh got with uh, New York State Museum. They just got back the corn planter piece pipe that was stolen over 70 years ago. They heard about our new cultural center and are looking at uh, repatriating that back to us. And so That's now that curious. we have the facilities, all the requirements, we're looking at getting a lot of things returned back to us, we That's made great. sure the building was set so in case we wanted like the one of our original treaties uh, from the Isonian, that it meets all the requirements that they they require.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So I'm really happy about us being able to get back things that Maybe things that we didn't even know about. On the outside of the museum, we're looking at one of the statues being uh, a trail tree. My ancestors used to bend the trees to go along with the path, and it was sort of like a destination sign. They would have certain marks on it in case they wanted water in a certain way or a, a spiritual site or something like that. You could just tell by looking at the tree what was in that
0: on that path it's very exciting you're going to get some of these artifacts back I mean there are certainly lots of cases historically of English and uh, German archaeologists who have stolen artifacts from Egypt and other places and it was still on display in museums in those countries and and they haven't got them back so that's really good news
1: yeah Yeah. and Proper preservation techniques and that sort of thing to keep Mm -hmm. them around for generations to come. What does it cost to uh, view the museum?
3: Nine dollars for an adult and five bucks for a kid. Any kids under seven years old for free. Uh, uh, Elders are four bucks. So and then sometimes we have big events where we just don't have an admission. And then there's usually like uh, the third Saturday in October. We're going to do Spooktacular Family Fun Day. Oh, neat! And so it's. Like a Halloween kind of theme, in which one of the things that we do is long nose, and long nose is more like uh, sort of like the boogeyman. So when kids were bad, long nose would come and chase them and eat them.
1: Yeah. So yeah, long nose could be the booger man too. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, I, I guess we're all out of time. I feel like we just lightly scratched the surface. I mean, this uh, that, that mm-hmm. my, I, there's so much here to talk about and uh, that we don't, I don't personally have any really, I mean, thank you for helping me learn a little bit about this. We'll put some links into the show notes um, for how to get to the museum and uh, to these books. And uh, if you don't mind, if you think of any other books you'd like us to link to, uh, if you could email those to us, we'll add those to the show notes as well. And um, could, I guess for our final question, we'd like to ask our guests, um, "What's your favorite monster?" Uh, I guess it would be long nose. All right, so, so wh- tell us oh, about long nose. Good answer.
3: Yeah, <laughs> like I said, like when kids were bad.
1: Yeah,
3: uh, the, actually, the men used to wear like a mask and like take him or her no, and uh, chase him around during the night in the village and stuff. Oh, that's awesome! Oh.
0: So. <laughs> Did that ever happen to you? Did your parents?
3: To me, that was the thing is that traditionally because like we don't spank people or our kids, you know, we either give them water, like uh, dunk them in water or we use like the red whip or we use like long nose. But it's hard to use long nose nowadays because the street lights. So
1: Uh (laughs) (laughs) spoils the effect, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to come with darkness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Usually, there's street lights everywhere. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, even uh, we have what's called the uh, our puppet show, and we have long noses. One of the. <laughs> characters anyways in our in our show and usually the non-native kids get more scared than the native kids actually
1: with it. I think it's really uh, cool out of all the monsters in the world, Long Nose is the one you picked. But... <laughs> yes. Very nice pun there. <laughs> well, well, David, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today and uh, introduce yeah, me you, at least even. and I'm sure many of our listeners to uh, a, a little taste of your culture. That's awesome.
0: And congratulations On the new museum as well.
1: Absolutely. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And
0: I'm Karen Stoltzner.
1: You just heard an interview with David Shango discussing Seneca legends and beliefs. David represents the Seneca Nation Museum in Salamanca, New York, where they just opened a large new facility with many culturally important exhibits. Find more information in our show notes at monstertalk.org. If you make it up to the museum, be sure and drop by our Facebook group and let us know how it went. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show represent the opinions of the host and the guests and may not reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms.
2: Save the date for a colossal PsyCon 2018. Bigger venue, bigger stars, bigger ideas, bigger fun. Las Vegas, October the 18th to the 21st, 2018. SciCon is already one of the planet's premier skeptical conferences where hundreds of critical thinkers come to Las Vegas, the city of the illusions to hear from the leading lights of science and scepticism. For 2018, we want SciCon to be bigger than ever. We've even booked a bigger hotel. Come to Las Vegas at the Westgate Resort and Casino to see the brilliant and hilarious Stephen Fry on stage with Richard Dawkins. An opening night talk by Stephen Pinker on the ideas behind his new book, Enlightenment Now the triumphant return of James the Amazing Randy. Plus, New York Times science writer Carl Zimmer, psychologist and memetics expert Susan Blackmore, the psy babe Yvette Dontremont, virologist and advocate for science-based medicine Paul Offit, and many, many more, along with comic musician George Rabe, serving as Master of Ceremonies, a magic show from Banachek, author book signings, and, of course, a Halloween costume party. It's true. Conspiracy theorists, quacks peddling fake medicine, and the deniers of evolution, climate change, and vaccine science are bigger threats than ever. With PsyCon 2018, let's show them that they have just met their match. We'll see you in Las Vegas. For more information and to book your tickets, visit csiconference.org. That's csiconference.org.
1: Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys, and we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to Monster Talk and hope that you'll share the show with your friends.